You're listening to Signal to Noise, part of the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly brought to you this week by the following sponsors. Allen and Heath, introducing their new CQ series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians, bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and installers that puts ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. RCF, who has just unveiled their new TT Plus audio brand, including the high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer. Be sure to check it out at rcf-usa.com. That's rcf-usa.com. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Signal to Noise. I'm your host, Andy Levis, and uh, this week uh, Sean had some client stuff he had to take care of, so flying solo, driving the virtual studio. Uh, hopefully I don't crash in, in straight into the ground while Sean's away. Uh, but uh, there's no lack of folks uh, to, to hang out with us this week. We've got uh, we've got four guests with me, so uh, keeping it keeping it packed in the virtual studio here. We've got, I want to say this is half of the audio team of uh, the Carolina Crown Drum Corps. They're all, they're all nodding their heads like, yeah, that's about right. You're, you're not horrible at math. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, Tyler Hansen, uh, Cole O'Malley, Jonathan Yu, and Rosa Westfall, if I didn't butcher anybody's names. Cool. Um, why don't we go around real quick? And I know, like, Cole, I'll start with you just because you're the one who kind of reached out to me. You want to give us the quick uh, intro of... Uh, what do you all do? And then we'll go around and let everybody give us their quick uh, who, who you are, how you ended up here. Sure, yeah. So uh, my name is Cole O'Malley. I'm the lead A2 uh, for Carolina Crown, um, aka like a board operator is what we consider an A2. And our job is to amplify uh, the brass and percussion for Carolina Crown. And then uh, Ty- Tyler, you're up next. Hi, I'm Tyler. I'm one of the A1s at Carolina Crown. And uh, my job is just hear how the entire product sounds from up in the box and work with our uh, music director, Michael Klesch, to make changes in that regard. Cool. Uh, working around the circle, uh, Rosa, you're up. I'm Rosa. I am the audio coordinator for Carolina Crown. Um, I kind of uh, help uh, our caption head, John, um, manage schedules and um i kind of am boots on the ground managing various projects in terms of um the execution of um the product and system maintenance and system build and um kind of all of that right on and then that leaves us with the last but not least jonathan i am uh, jonathan you i'm the audio caption supervisor for carolina crown drum and bugle corps um my role is to uh lead up and uh run the audio team and uh, be the uh, one of the big connections between the audio team and a liaison with the designers and um, with uh, the the rest of the people that are at the high level of the drum corps putting the production together. Um, also, some of the things I do is uh, work with budgets, staffing, <clears throat> um, helping us get the things that we need to have to for us to have a successful season. And um, you know, just kind of the guy that says, "What do you need from me, and what how can I help?" Awesome. So it sounds like we got like a pretty good cross section of the team covered um why don't we take a take a step back because i know i'm i'm a marching band kid at heart from when i was in high school so i know what drum corps is why don't we for listeners who may not be familiar uh does one or more of you want to give us a quick uh what what exactly is drum corps and and maybe how does how does audio come into it because i know a lot of 
a lot of folks are even familiar with marching band. We'd be like, sound for that? What are you, what, what's sound for that? So why don't you kind of give us that overview and then we'll dive in from there. John, I sure. think you'd be good. Or Rosa. <laughs> Oh, um, so drum corps is um, a lot like marching band, um, but uh, there are no woodwinds, um, but there are percussion sections, both uh, marching battery and front ensemble that stand still, um, as well as a brass section and a color guard. And so um, in more recent years, um, we have begun amplifying. Um, it started kind of with the front ensemble, um, keyboard, percussionists, marimbas, vibraphones, um, where they are just naturally quieter instruments. And so um, that was kind of the first step in amplifying um, a drum corps parts. And uh, there's also sound design aspects. Um, so synth um, is kind of the term we use, although it's usually like a MIDI controller connected to a computer running something like main stage. Um, and there's um, a sound designer who incorporates samples and other electronic kind of aspects. Um, and then in even more recent years, um, we've begun amplifying um, soloists on the field, horn line um, members that are soloists, and also now uh, kind of a greater component of the brass line to kind of help amplify them and um, and even better shape kind of the musicality of the show. Right on. Like, but I, I'm torn between the audience to me being like, that's awesome. And the, like, the old school mumbledy years ago, Marching Man King being like, back in my day, we didn't need it. <laughs> um, but that's cool. Um, so is it like when you're, when you're amplifying the soloist, are you like, is that, is that wireless? Is it like fixed mics that they're like coming up to, to play this? So like, how, how does that work? It's kind of a mixture. Um, it depends just on kind of the staging. Um, there is someone that writes the drill or basically the positions of these musicians, like on a football field. And so depending on where um, they want those members at any given time for that maybe soloistic moment, um, sometimes we are able to make it a, nice easy wired kind of situation um with a standing mic but other times if they want them moving during their solo or um it's just kind of too far out from the front of the field uh we will incorporate uh wireless got it cool and then and uh so and this is t touring like what's a what's a touring season for drum corps like John, yeah, Jonathan, you go answer for it. that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, roughly, <clears throat> we kind of count that the season is 12 weeks long once we hit the ground running in the summer, uh, usually starting around mid-May, ending around the first or second week of August. Um, and it's the entire summer, every day, all day type of situation. Um, right now, we're in, the process, we're in the middle of winter camps, and so there's monthly camps uh, for the rehearsal season. Um, and so on our end, on the audio team side, we don't have like as much like things going on in terms of uh, trying to get um, equipment set up right now. It's really like hitting the ground running in, in mid-May, uh, mid <clears throat> excuse me, as we um, try to get ramped up for a competitive season. And so typically about about a month, the first month or so of the summer is where we consider we're in uh, spring training or pre-tour is where we learn the production, the 10 to 12 minute long production. Uh, we learn all the drill, all the shapes on the field, learn all the music, all the choreography and put, start putting all these things together. And once we get to about mid-June, we start hitting the road and we start traveling the country uh, from about mid-June until uh, the first or second week of August. Typically, we cover about 10 to 
12,000 miles by, uh, by bus and caravan. And so it, <clears throat> it's quite a bit of an undertaking to move the, uh, the, the members and the staff of the drum corps. And so it's, um, it's one of those things where it's a, small, like, it's a small glimmer into what the road touring life is for like, our live, uh, live audio people. Um, where, but there are, some, there are some nice things about it, but there are some di- uh, difficult and challenges that we have to kind of endure when we go on the road, um, particularly with weather, depending on where we are in the country. Gotcha. Cool. So, so, so there's like planning you're doing like throughout most of the year. And then it's those like three months that you're hot and heavy. Pretty much. Yep. Cool. That's yeah. It's like one of those things you don't think, cause I know like if you're, if you're like deep into that world of like DCI stuff, which I know some people who are like, you know, and it's this whole world that like so many of us know nothing about. Um, so I, I guess one of you, we talked about like who you are and what you, what you all do there. Uh, how did y'all get into both audio, and how did you end up uh, working on on drum corps stuff? Um, why don't we start? We'll start with Tyler since we haven't heard from you in a little bit. So, I got started in audio simply because, like, I was playing in like a bunch of like musical acts when I was in high school, and somebody needed to be the guy that recorded everybody since they wanted to all put out albums and everything. So, that's pretty much where I got my start. I took that into college trying to be like a studio engineer, but then I found I switched over to live like pretty much right after college because there was more work available and I've been there ever since. And then my I think my first live gig was actually being the sound engineer for the core that I used to perform at Louisiana Stars and just pretty much downward spiral from there. <laughs> uh, what, what was your instrument? I uh, was a snare drummer and also a drum set player. All right. Cool. Uh, Cole, what about you? Uh, well, How did your journey end up here? So um, <coughs> I was in high school during COVID, and um, I was in marching band all throughout high school and uh, found myself uh, doing a internship at a church during COVID, doing like pre-recordings, and that's kind of how I got into audio. Um, and doing like main stage patches and watching the front of house engineer and uh, went to school for uh, audio at Appalachian State. I'm still a student at Appalachian State. I'm a senior and uh, I had to do something this summer. I love drum corps. Um, wanted to do it, but wasn't the best <laughs> at my instrument. Um, so hey, what, what was I, the I, instrument? Uh, trombone and baritone. All right. Um, in high school, was a drum major, um, but you know, I really wanted to be involved some way. And you know, I was in audio school, had to do something, so uh, get some sort of summer internship. So I emailed, boldly emailed the core the core director of Carolina Crown. I was like, "Hey, can I be an intern?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure." Um, awesome. Kindly enough, they were like, "Yeah, sure." So in 2022, (laughs) my first year, I was an intern. Um, Some scheduling things happened. Uh, One of our A2s had to leave tour, so um, I moved up to uh, be kind of like an A3, A2, and mixed for the rest of the season. um, Right after spring training, and fell into it, and I've been here ever since. I didn't say I saw you. You had sent like the your resume when when we were chatting about this, and I noticed you. It seemed like it lined up well that you bumped right from like being the intern to the intern coordinator. So I was like, clearly nailed something there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just 
my intern experience was I, I was there from day one to day eighty eight. Yeah. Or what day eighty something. And uh, that year they wanted me to kinda help the interns out. Um, considering I'd I'd done so much the season before and help them, you know, kinda guide them through it. <clears throat> That's awesome. Um, cool. Uh, what about you, Jonathan? Uh, so <clears throat> I'm, uh, I guess, the old guy on the staff, um, on the crew. <laughs> old but, guys um, represent. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I was a high school band director for about 15 years um, in uh, in Texas. And, um, you know, as part of the things that we do with uh, band in Texas, we do a lot of marching band because there's a lot of football. And so uh, with that, with our marching band, um, you know, I started taking on more responsibilities with uh, electronics and audio um, <clears throat> to help out a percussion director. It's just one of those things where, you know, we spin a lot of plates and wear a lot of hats. And, there, you know, there's some times where you just get to a bandwidth uh, limit. And so helped uh, started helping them out with it and uh, kind of taking that on. And, um, you know, just uh, this was kind of like in that 2008, 9, 10 era. Um, and so <clears throat> just helping you know, uh, get things set up for the front ensemble, uh, making sure that everything's working and, and just kind of getting things dialed in. Um, and, you know, from those early days was a lot of uh, asking a lot of questions to other friends in the activity about what they do and how they do stuff and just kind of learning by trial by fire and a lot of fire. Uh, There's definitely been a lot of fire, but again, it's a lot of a lot of those times when you're on fire is when you learn a lot um, mm-hmm. and, and definitely learned a, a lot of what not to do. Um, and through this uh, this uh, this uh, last like decade and change of uh, doing audio for marching arts, um, and then as uh, you know, I was doing a lot of this with my group and helping out a couple other groups, um, and then uh, you know, COVID happened, um, and I was actually transitioning out uh, of teaching full time to go into the design and consultant world, anyways. And um, uh, one of our uh, perm coordinator that I worked with in my school, uh, uh, she wanted me to kind of work with a couple of, of her teams. And so did just a couple during the COVID year. Yes, in Texas, we still had marching band and football and during uh, COVID. Um, and it just kind of uh, grew from there. Um, and then I got a call from a friend of mine. Um, and it's always how it is, right? A friend of a friend of a friend uh, recommends you and got a gig with the, uh, on the audio team with Santa Clara Vanguard in uh, uh, 22. And then, um, you know, in the, sometime that summer, um, Tony Lyman, who was the former audio caption super, uh, supervisor, a good friend of mine um he kind of approached me about coming over to crown and uh you know just something's happened and you know fate always does its work and then i landed at crown and for uh for 23 to help and do what i can and um now i'm been uh named the capture supervisor so kind of where i am right now right on and then uh the last but again not least uh rosa what's what was your journey i uh was a musician kind of my life like growing up in high school i started as a percussionist um doing marching percussion um involved in like marching band and also another similar marching arts activity uh called indoor drumline and so i loved doing that and already kind of had plans to go um to school for audio production at mtsu and so i was doing that while i was marching kind of my last there's age limits to these activities so it was like my last few years doing it while i was in school um and i was really focusing on um studio work in school and um it after i aged out i uh just kind of got sucked back in um i've kind of 
left the marching arts and come back to it a few times at this point but uh but i mean i love it and it the marching arts did so much for me as a member that i like always want to kind of pay it forward as best i can and so i got my first drum corps uh, gig at spirit of atlanta in 2019 and i did that tour and then um i worked with the blue coat strum and bugle corps in uh 2021 um because in 2020 we did not have a season and um then similarly tony called me uh and was like help we need someone for the last two weeks of tour in 22 uh and so i agreed to do it and have been with crown since it's also worth noting that tyler and cole really like did the whole 22 season like they were the audio staff pretty much exclusively so they really killed it that season so it was really a great like opportunity for me to come in and like see all this work the culmination like of all the work that they did all summer and to have get that experience of the last two weeks it was really hard to say no to the next year so uh yeah no regrets Awesome. So I know you you mentioned like how like all like your time and periods in the marching arts did so much for you. Like what sort of like what sort of other things uh, did it do for you? That is what what drew you back in. Um, I think it just gave me like a passion for. Well, you know, as a student, um, I got a great music education from it. But also, just um, it's drum corps, especially, is um, kind of tough work it's a lot of long hours so there's just like life skills that you tend to learn through music education at like that kind of a demand whether that's like time management or like how to effectively practice and um uh, yeah like communication skills and <clears throat> self-discipline i don't know like a lot of just life skills that um that i really really value and and use in my personal like in my profession like every day and I still work as a studio engineer, and um, and I definitely got a lot from drum corps that like goes into that work as well. Right, and like both on the on the musical side and the like interrelationship <clears throat> and communication side. Yes, absolutely. Cool, and and I realized I asked everybody else their instruments other than Jonathan. You you said you teach, so I assume a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything, but oddly enough, my management is actually saxophone. Okay, and then the, okay, I was gonna say mine. <laughs> mine was saxophone, and I still That's what's I, up. I I have a soprano and alto upstairs that I really should dust off. I have not played them in far too long. Uh, same. Um, I was actually staring <laughs> at it today when I was working at, uh, at at my desk, and I was like, I should probably uh, get some new reeds because they're probably some yeah. some they're from before COVID. But uh, yeah, I played saxophone as my management. Um, did my music education degree. University of Houston, and I actually marched baritone euphonium at the Madison Scouts back way in the day, um, like in the 2002 to 2005 range. So I was actually marching drum corps before there's amplification, and then when amplification was actually legalized. And so, um, but you know, way before that, amplification just marching band has always been legal. But then um, in drum corps, it wasn't actually legalized until 2004. And then I believe electronics, like using synths and samples, weren't uh, legalized until 2009. So oh, wow. a lot of this is still kind of relatively "quote unquote" new-ish um, or on the in the young uh, stages of of what we've been able to do in this activity. But it's definitely grown quite a bit, like exponential growth. So. Yeah, like I remember, like late '90s <clears throat> when I was in high school. Like, I mean, to a certain point, almost anything was was legal. But like watching, <laughs> you'd always like you'd cock your eyebrow, at, like. 
the the schools that have like more like electronic and like playback stuff and be like, Dad, is that cheating? That feels like cheating. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, and for the I I I uh, I lost track of a thought there, but yeah, because I was I was back in the day where like the the to give you an idea of the time period, which might only mean anything to Jonathan, is I was in the period where. Here in the Northeast, it was uh, CNBC, the Cadets Marching Band Cooperative, and then transitioned to like U.S. Scholastic uh, when like the Cadets, I guess, pulled away from that organization. So like late '90s, um, but yeah, uh, was it? Uh, I think technically we were, yeah, U.S. Scholastic '98 Marching Band Champions the one year. So that's like my cl- my <laughs> way to go out my senior year. That's I didn't send it to the rest of you. I sent Cole the photo of, of all of our seniors <laughs> from that competition. Um. Which was a fun to go. That's uh, when when Cole was sending some photos of y'all earlier. I was like, "Oh, I should Lord. go diving. I think I have one. I'll throw into the email." But I didn't <laughs> nice. reply all to everybody. But I'll I'll post it in the Discord uh, for for folks who are listening, so they can they can look at a very very young Andy. Yeah, Cole's holding it up on his phone for for everybody else there. Yeah, oh, I can like barely the see that Cole. On the, on the left there. Um, uh, yeah. So I know we we touched on this a little bit in the intros. But there's a number of roles that just, it's always the thing for different industries between theater, concert, whatever. We all have like A1, A2, whatever. And like every little pocket of the industry defines them different. And I know you, you talked to, y'all talked about some of the ways you define that. And then there's also like other titles that seem very unique to drum corps. So I know, does one of you want to volunteer to kind of give us the rundown of like what all the positions are? Uh, sure. Um, I'll start like, so in my role is audio caption supervisor, it kind of, kind of defines itself. I'm just the, the top of the food chain, uh, also the first one to get yelled at. So, uh, it comes with the territory, but it's, you know, my job is to, uh, hire the audio staff, um, uh, take a look at, you know, making sure I'm managing budgets for, in terms of staffing budgets, equipment budgets, uh, looking at the needs that, uh, that we have for the program for that summer. Do we have the equipment currently that we need, or do we need to buy something new? And working with the uh, core admin staff about uh, trying to get things ordered, and you know uh, what are the things that are worth buying or not worth buying, and uh, like you know the designers like we want to do this thing. It's like whoa, we can do that. However, it's going to cost this many dollars. <clears throat> Is it worth the squeeze? That sort of thing. And so uh, to kind of be able to uh, to kind of work between the designers and what we can really do as an audio team, because again, a lot of the times the, the the designers will just ask, "Can we do this?" and most of the things they ask for is like the answer is yes. It's just a matter of time and money, and so like anything else, and so that's kind of a lot of things I, I'll do on my end. Also, like uh, trying to keep uh, everyone's uh, summer schedule organized, like who's flying in and flying out, managing all those thing, all those things, and then um, and you know that's kind of the overview of what I do. And then from there, it goes to Rosa as Hertel's audio uh, coordinator, and like she said, she's the boots on the ground. She's kind of run the day to day. You know, making sure that the uh, that the train is still moving forward. Uh, you know, if there's any concerns or things we need to uh, take care of, she'll address those with the rest of the team. And uh, as as we work through the summer, and then uh, like Tyler is uh, also one of our A ones, and um, like one of the eight ones jobs are really the uh, be the ones running the caption. If I'm not on the road, or Rose is on the road, and and manage managing the team there. Um, and also being the and being upstairs or what we call upstairs, like at the, at the in the press box during rehearsals, you know, if uh, if our music director Michael Clutchley, hey, I want that louder or softer, uh, we'll usually our A ones like Tyler will communicate that down to Cole, uh, who's our A two, and then in our world, um, our A twos are our board ops, so they're the uh, people on the on the console running uh, running the console, making volume changes, uh, level changes, 
uh, scene changes, all that sort of stuff. And so, um, and that also rolls into 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 um, our performances where they're the ones running the console and doing all the scene changes and, and doing some live mixing uh, at the same time. Um, and then we have our A3s, and um, the, that rolls specifically for our wireless coordination because uh, right now we're running anywhere between 24 to 30 channels wireless. And so that is, uh, if anyone knows what it's like to manage that much wireless, it is a lot to handle. And it's, uh, that's part of their gig to make sure all the wireless is up and running. You know, uh, packs are, uh, have batteries, are, you know, everything's working, um, scanning, deploying signals, and, and then and fre- and frequencies, and then just making sure that um, uh, they're monitoring all, that, uh, all the RF stuff. Because uh, you know some parts of the country are great, and some parts of the country are not are so in great. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, especially like that DFW market. So yeah, I was going to say DFW, <laughs> Miami, Chicago. Like every, yeah, everybody <laughs> looks at me in New York, and they're like, "Oh, you guys have it out there." I'm like, "We have it fairly easy compared to some places, other than just like every once in a while, stuff will randomly fire on on the Empire State Building for testing, and then it's like, where did that come from?" And <laughs> half of Broadway, you know, clenches simultaneously. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Let me chime in on the the RF part because like yeah. we've got we've got 24 to 30 channels, but there's also seven other cores, maybe three other three to seven other cores at each show that also have between you know one channel and 32 channels of wireless that are going on before and after us, and we have to hope to God sometimes that. <laughs> Everyone is using their allotted frequencies, and if there's no frequency coordination group, that pray God they turn them off. So that's another crazy part about the RF coordination. Got it. So there's there's shows. no like one person in officially in charge of that for the whole show. No, it's it's usually on a core by core basis, unless it's at the regionals and at DCI finals. Um, that usually frequency coordination group will be there and they'll divvy out frequencies, but at the smaller uh, Local shows, there's usually there's almost never um, someone there to give out frequencies. It's we'll show up at about two hours before, two three hours before the show, do a scan, deploy, get the packs out while the brass is warming up. Copy. So it's a little bit of like let's get ours on first so we stake out our territory. <laughs> kind of, sort of, yeah. We kind of like step on each other a little bit, but like there's this kind of unspoken rule that you keep your uh, transmitters off until you're on the field and yeah, everybody usually right follows that. <clears throat> and a lot of times Copy. if someone goes on first, they might be like, hey, this like 472.5 was giving us problems, but it wasn't showing on, on Workbench. And you know, we'll help each other out and let, let, let each other know like if there's some problem, problem frequencies. And so um, it's kind of a collective effort within, uh, especially within DCI with all the audio engineers to like help each other out. Because if uh, someone has issues, that means somebody else could have issues, and then it can snowball from there. And so uh, it's kind of one of those like, um, like like we just are there to help each other out and support each other whichever way we can. Awesome. Um, rewinding, I want to get back onto that that and like some of the gear side of it, but just re- rewinding for a second to title because I know you keep mentioning captions and caption head, and I and I know that's a term I'm not familiar with. So like, what what exactly does that mean in in your world? Um, for the like, so the caption heads or caption supervisors, those are the, the people that that are in charge of the uh, of that section. So we have like a brass caption head, a percussion caption head, or a battery caption head, and a front ensemble caption head. Got it. So like caption, caption is basically another uh, word, another word for section. Yes, yes, and then got it. Um, so that kind of like divvies up um, everyone's uh, roles within the organization. 
And so essentially, it's like uh, it's also like the point person for that for that section or that the caption. So if something's going on, like uh, admin and leadership can go to them and say what's going on or hey, how's this going? That sort of thing. Got it. And then um, yeah, on the equipment side. So like when you're like when you're doing those local shows where it's like three or four different cores performing together, is it like how does that work equipment wise? Like is it all shared? Are you all bringing everything of your own? Like what what are you traveling with? What are you using where? Yeah, we own Jonathan, everything. For, for, the, for those listening at home, Jonathan just like put his his face <laughs> in his, his hand and just rubbed it as far like uh So one of the unique things I think about like our activity is like we have a lot of like really interesting kind of like like rules and regulations that's kind of like inherent in the activity. And one of them, like probably the first one I'd say is that it is an entirely self-contained system. And um, so you can't expect that there will be house anything or shared anything. Um, There is, I think, generally house power, but that is also not something, and depending on your system, like something that's reliable. So we even like have generators to run our power. and, um, And we are also very meticulous in how we design the system because the, I think next biggest uh, kind of uh, limitation that we have is that we have to set all of it up and have it running in about 90 seconds. And that is also pretty unique uh, for our activity. So um, so drum cords do not share equipment or anything. Um, it's a great community that if, you know, something breaks, usually um, it's a pretty like, close community so we probably will know someone in some drum corps um that is there that might you know have a spare this that or the third but uh generally we are all completely self-contained in terms of our system and yeah cool um that so i mean let's talk about that because like setting it up in 90 seconds like i (laughs) I mean, my imagination is running away with like what what is what is the system you're using? You want to give us like the big like overview of of what what exactly it is you're using and how how you're packaging that to set up so fast? Does anyone else want to take this? <laughs> I could talk about the gear. Yeah, I, I, gear, I guess I can give it a the shot. Gear nerd. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, currently, we run uh, two stacks of uh, Nexo line arrays um, with subs over that. Those are on their own. Uh, specialty built carts and we also um ran uh two uh small point source speakers over their own subwoofer as well in the middle of our uh, front ensemble setup we also have our mixer on a cart all of our rf is on a cart we have uh field mic stands that are that get the uh entire uh ensemble that's on the field mic'd up as well we there's mics underneath all of our um, percussion instruments and yeah, getting all that stuff set up in 90 seconds is a pain. It's a it it's actually like a very well rehearsed and choreographed thing that we have to work on early in the summer in order to get it set up correctly at every single show. Like multiple performers have various responsibilities whether it's pushing the carts or pulling the cables and plugging them into the right spots and with us having other responsibilities it, but also having to stay on top of that, it gets wild for sure. Gotcha. Uh, so, like microphone wise, like what are what are you typically using for different things? Um, this past year, we did uh, Audio Technica AT twenty thirty fives under our boards, and I think a couple of our boards we had uh, SM fifty sevens under as well. 
Um, we did 604s on the timpani, but also we had AT35s as a distance mic because that's more the sound they wanted as opposed to the close mic of the timpani. We do, uh, I forgot the model, the Sure uh, stereo mics that we use the for VP our field mics. Yeah, the VP88s. Thank you, Cole. And um, we used uh, Beta 98s as our uh, brass mics as well. Copy. So n- nothing, nothing crazy, crazy and unusual. Like, what are like the, like are these are tipping to like stuff on stands, like clamp to instrument stands? Like, what what are you doing to, to streamline <laughs> that and make life easy? We're uh, we are clamping pretty much everything to every instrument as much as possible. I think the only like stands that we have that we use are the field mic stands. So right on. And it's just like LP claws or like Yeah, we they have a. Uh, clamps that are made to clamp onto our instruments and don't know how to describe it, but they're like these little square clamp things that we clamp onto the pipes. And then they have, um, they're normally used for like mounting percussion equipment, but we mount mic stands to those and <laughs> go from there. Right. Yeah. I've, I've done that. One of my, actually my first uh, theater tour, we got spoiled where right? it, it was a custom drum kit, like with the whole rack and frame. So everything was all, and yeah, like it, it took us about two tour stops to figure out like, wait a second, he's got a pile of extra hardware. We don't need any of these weighted bases. Let's just like clamp those, like a pipe's mm-hmm. a pipe, clamp it in there and go. Yeah. And it exactly. went from like, yeah, like 20 minutes to set up the drum kit and all the mics to like <clears throat> six at most, which still isn't 90 seconds, but you know, theater going to theater. <laughs> yeah. Luckily on the like keyboard instruments in the front ensemble, which is mostly the, that like hardware, um, mounting kind of systems they stay on there all summer so um they don't like disassemble like the keyboards um like when they load into the truck and so those are things that that can actually like just stay on there for the whole season unless you know we have to swap them out or you know something happens they bump something or um but yeah generally those can pretty permanently stay on there and the wiring also generally stays on there um in a fat but is tied in in a fashion that they plug to like to each other's boards like daisy chain through keyboards um and yeah and into um like a cat five breakout um that then gets run to our synth cart right on that that certainly makes it a lot easier so so basically you've got a cart that's running that's got all the like all the main stage interfaces and computers and all that Correct. That's for, yeah, for the synthesizer. So that that's, I guess, the another cart that I, I think Tyler hadn't mentioned yet um, that, yes, has, it's a um, redundant system so that um, because a lot of sound design, um, sound design is really huge in the marching arts now and um, especially in like transitional portions of the show. And so um, a lot of like the general effect is like a caption that we are judged on um, as a drum corps. And some of that can be affected if our uh, sound design goes down. And if for whatever reason the synth um, stops working, the computer freezes, um, whatever that is. Uh, so we have two computers running and that are doing the same thing at the same time so that if something does go wrong, um, they can really easily sw- switch. And there's also stage boxes in that cart, um, which is how we kind of tie in like different part, different inputs all the way back to the mixer um, with a Tio and Rio. Got it. So, and is is it the player that's doing the switching over, or is it is it like one of y'all that does, that switches over? 
yeah, it's it's the player. We we try our best to um, give like good information and kind of train the members, especially in the front ensemble, because there's so much of like the audio side integrated into their world. We try our best to train them really well, um, to take care of the things um, right, to, you know, know when they should or shouldn't unplug and what to do if something goes wrong, um, especially the synth player, because the synth player has um, all that kind of right there. Um, then we kind of have to trust that they um, they know how to handle things if things happen. And they always do, because we're definitely like loading and unloading the truck like twice a day, usually on the road. Um, so a lot can happen in those like loads and unloads. And um, plus it's super hot in Texas. <laughs> so just like the heat and um, and just wear and tear that happens on all of the gear is um, pretty immense. So we try our best to make sure that everyone's really aware of what the, in, the gear can and can't take <laughs> in the course of the summer. Right on. And so j- just getting nerdy about it, because like redundant systems have been a large part of my life over the years. I'm going to say that's like like a radial or whirlwind like switcher kind of situation or... Oh, Jonathan's not like nope. <laughs> so what are what are you uh, using for that? We're somewhat low tech ish. I say that, but there's a lot of tech in it. Um, both of our Mac Minis are running over Dante with Dante Virtual okay. Sound Card, and then um, we have a KVM that we use to uh, switch the the mouse or the trackpad and the keyboard and the uh, synth over between Mac uh, one or two or A or B. Um, and so that's uh, that's kind of how we run it, and we run both Macs into the console. At the same time, and we have each of the Macs on their own mute group. And so uh, Mac 1 is always the primary Mac, Mac 2s are secondary. So if something's wonky, like say Cole's at the console and he's like, yo, like, something's weird, we have like a signal, like a hand sign or something or a flare. Um, and then that, that's when the, the synth player will notice, uh, switch, uh, hit the KVM switch and switch over. And so um, there's, so there's a lot of um, like, it's low tech in terms of equipment, but uh, we are running all that over Dante. So um, which is super cool, but as a lot of us know, sometimes Dante is Dante. And, um, and so we've been able to mitigate a lot of that. And uh, Cole and I kind of uh, were able to brought some new gear into the system uh, this last summer and it really helped out with the uh, network. Cole, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, we've been using the, the new <clears throat> Netgear 4250 switches. All right. Um, and they are just like so sturdy. Uh, and the issues are managed, you know, you think of most managed switches, you know, taking about 10 to 15, 20 minutes um, to set up to, you know, configure for Dante. But um, the good thing about these is that you can just, it had like profiles. So you just set it all to, it's like Dante profile and, and you're good to go. And it also has like all these different like AV compatibilities. So like you run NDI for video, can run AVB, it can like it's got all these profiles that are just preset for you. Go in on you log into the IP address and do everything. It takes like maybe a minute, and they and if you have like a issue, you call up Netgear. They know exactly what you're talking about. They know AV, they know Pro AV. So like they've been an absolute dream to use. Awesome. I, I don't think we had any issues this summer. Nope. Uh, with them. No, they were they were perfect. Yeah, that's great. Like I've I've up until recently was working in installs and dealt with the Netgear switches a lot. And yeah, the forty two fifties are great. Like the only time I think I ever had issues was when 
we started getting into systems that needed like 10 gig systems. So we had like the 4,500 core switches and things get a little esoteric there. Yeah. But yeah, with like the 4250s alone. Yeah. It's always like those and like with, yeah, Luminex switches coming out that make like, yeah, Dante use like a thing you don't have to think about at all. And it's after years and years of configuring other brands of switches and having like 10 page cheat sheets of, <laughs> of what to set up. It's nice yeah. to be like, nope, just click the button and it'll work. Yeah, and since we're uh, pretty much Yamaha native system, you know, we're using Nexo and we're using a QL5, we're using TOs, Rios, and all that Dante stuff is integrated into almost all the Yamaha gear. Um, it's just it's a breeze, you know. They, it all works super well. Um, that's some of the best parts about it. Right on. Um, so yeah, we covered yeah Nexos. We covered the speakers. Um, so I know we talked about you had uh, carts on there, and I, I so it's all like ground stacked arrays. Yes. Cool. And uh, like when you're when you're performing it, like it's I, I assume we're we're mostly exclusively in like stadiums or yes. And is it like are you selling like is it is it full around or are you only covering like the one side of it or how do, how does that tend to work for drum core? We we really only cover the uh, side that we're performing to. Because, I mean, okay. it doesn't make sense for people to try to watch the show from the back because that's going to yep. be, like, a weird timing thing, obviously. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah. And there are visual elements of the show as well yep. that wouldn't make sense backwards. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It was it was always the weird thing in marching that is, like, you are sort of performing to both sides, but you typically, like, we're just like, you, that side is what it is. It's it's the visitors. Don't worry about them. Right, yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. Uh. I mean, what's the you get like? What's what's the craziest thing that happened to you all the last season? Like any any fun? Like oh my god! <laughs> I think the craziest thing that happened is that we had, I don't want to jinx it, but so few problems. <laughs> like I think that we were so worried. Like last year was the first year we did um, the wireless thing to the extent that we did, and um, because that is pretty new to individually mic horn members. Um, to help help reinforce like the overall brass sound is very new and um, very few cores do it um, just because of the financial barrier that there is. But um, but it was kind of Carolina Crown's first time diving into that, and I think that all of us were just so worried that something would go wrong because we didn't really have that experience. That we were so uh, on top of it that um, it went really smoothly um smoother than any season i have done of drum corps before that's awesome and um, we're in january now so we can safely say that and at least that season's past we're not entirely <laughs> tempting right. the wrath of the whatever from high atop the thing um so give me an idea of like numbers and like how many how many members are in a core and like as you're starting to like fill out with like miking folks like how many of those are mic'd or not mic'd and how does that work what's the limit now guys is it one 152, 154, I think. Or is it 160? Sounds right. It's something like that. Back in my day, I'll say that. It, was like, <laughs> it used to be like 120, 124, 128. And so the, the, the size of the drum cores have grown. Um, but you know, let's say it's like around 152-ish uh, of all the members on the, on the field. Uh, the front ensemble is right now looking to be six marimbas, six vibes, uh, xylophone, glock, timpani. Um, and then... Um, uh, a synth or two, and then um, and so that's a good number of uh, of performers in the front ensemble, and that's where 
uh, you know, a lot of the all the percussion sound design stuff comes out of there for us. And then, uh, like we said, for the brass, anywhere, anywhere from, uh, between 24 to 30 or even possibly 32 uh, brass members are mic'd depending uh, on top of if they're a soloist, if it's a specific instrument. Like this past summer, we had a, a concert French horn that started the program. So that, uh, that instrument had a mic. We had a concert euphonium uh, in the ballad uh, on top of uh, like the six or so trumpets, the couple mellophones, a couple baritones, and the tubas that we, that we kind of uh, mic'd across, entire, uh, across the horn line. And so... Um, that's kind of extent of what's getting mic'd uh, for the most part. Um, and then the five VPD8s we ran across the front sideline, pointed at the field to pick up some of the larger moments where like the horn line is stretched from like uh, goal line to goal line uh, to uh, really kind of pick up the, the entire field itself. And so that, that in itself does present itself some challenges where you inadvertently pick up the snare drums and you're not trying to pick up the snares or you, you actually pick so up. So exactly the, like rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only if we could put them all in an ISO, an ISO booth, that'd be great. <laughs> um, or sometimes it's, it's also this, um, as we start the season, it's kind of like there's, it's all noise. And then as we go through, we, we comb things out and, and like, and get clarity as the horn line gets more clear with tuning and, and, and balance and things like that. And same thing with the, with the percussion and their, and their volumes and their balance. As it keeps getting refined, then it's like, oh, that that thing wasn't a problem. That didn't. What was that? And then things start kind of creeping up that weren't problems because there's other things that were kind of in the foreground. And so for us, it's like we start in mid-May, but then it's an entire summer of coming through the entire program constantly, finding things that like just keep popping out here and there. Or we go to this one venue where we're rehearsing in this large stadium for three days, but it's got a 15-foot wall in front of us. So that's like, okay, so that's going to cause other things to start reflecting back and causing feedback that we've never had before in certain microphones and certain instruments. And so then we just keep working to comb those things out. And that's the, that's the thing that I think that really uh, helped us excel at what we did as a team is that everyone was on board on the team, on the audio team, to like make Carolina Crown the best version of Carolina Crown, do our part. But to like always keep going like, well, is this good enough? No, it's not, it's not good enough. We got to keep going, keep going. And even all the way to like finals day, the last day, we're still coming out some stuff with the timpani because once we got into Lucas Oil Stadium for finals, you know, we go in, into an indoor uh, indoor uh, stadium, and then all of a sudden, there's stuff like in the 500 uh, range that starts humming back in the in the stadium, and it's like that wasn't a problem uh, earlier this week or last week, but then it's like we got to find this this issue and kind of comb it out in three days and try to get it to be as tight as we can, and so. You know, that's one of those things where it's for us, it can seem neurotic because we're always constantly like going like, we got to fix it. We got to fix it. But it, for, for us, it's like for those members on the field, because there's those 154 members on the field that are busting their butts every day, sweating, like going through all the emotions of rehearsal and performances. And we're on our side with our cash and we're the adults in the room and we have to make sure we do our best so that they can have the best performances possible. And, at, you know, if something does go sideways, like in a rehearsal, you bet that every single person on the audio team is like figuring out what went wrong. And we feel, we all feel that personal accountability. Like, Oh, we just disappointed the drum corps and those kids and those um, students and members on the field. And so um, we're here to help them and, and help lift them up and so that they can have their best performances all summer long. And so that's one of the things I think that really like helps our, helps our team gel together because we're all on the same page. It's like, it's not about, myself or Rosa or Tyler or Cole, the rest of the team. It's not any one individual. It's all of us working together for the common goal to make Carolina Crown as best as, as best as uh, they can be and make this version of Carolina Crown the strongest version that we can uh, the, and do what we can to help. Yeah, I think also that like Carolina Crown specifically has such like a rich history of 
the brass line. Like I think that like miking the brass, like we um, did this past year and we will do this year is um, really daunting specifically for Carolina Crown because they they award um, caption awards um, at finals, which um, like the color guard or the percussion or the brass will receive awards um, separate from like the overall score um, or rank. Well, yeah, the overall score or ranking. Um, and Carolina Crown has won high brass or the brass award. It's called the Jimot many times before and has just like a really big um you know rich history of their brass line and like i was super pumped to be involved with crown when i started because i love their brass line like i was a percussionist and so i you know but i the carolina crown was like the only brass line i knew because i loved it so much like i had you know youtube to mp3 downloaded their 2013 warm-ups and stuff like i so being a part of like this kind of new step that we've taken as a drum corps was like very like important that we get it right i think for all of us and um including the other captions like i'm sure like it really kind of speaks to the trust that they have of us as a um team that they were willing to kind of take that step with us and that you know we're able to like listen to each other and collaborate on this bigger like production that we create um and yeah for the members because ultimately it's an educational experience and it's a performance experience for those members they pay a lot of money to do the activity and um and they deserve the best run at the on the last day so what what is the age range of the members uh, I don't know if there's a lower age for limit, usually like 16, 17, I think is the lower limit, but um, the age out <clears throat> is 21. Okay. Um, like if you turn, I think you're allowed to turn 22 during the summer. I can't remember the specific date, but 21 is the age limit ultimately. Got it. Um, so Jonathan, you mentioned, uh, briefly uh, about like when you're getting into finals, there, there's three days that there's like three days of rehearsal <laughs> stuff or like how to, how does that work? And like how many cores are, are, are participating at that point? So we get to the, that uh, final week in August for us and we call it finals week. Um, so, um, it's actually starts Monday and Tuesday with the open class drum cores and they have their open class prelims and championships on Monday and Tuesday. And then, depending on where those some of those cores place, the uh, higher placing cores will actually uh, get to perform at uh, quarterfinal. Sorry, prelims on, uh, on Thursday night. I'm starting to definitely age myself here. I used to call it quarterfinals, but um, they so some of those uh, open class groups plus all the world class groups will um, will perform Thursday uh, for prelims, and then after that, there's a cut for semifinals going into Friday, and then after that, there's the final cut going to finals night on Saturday. And so, um, you know, the, the, the numbers tend to can fluctuate a little bit year to year, depending if some cores are coming out or not. But uh, typically for, I believe, for, uh, for prelims, it's somewhere around 24 groups are performing that day or so, uh, you know, ish. And then the cut going to, then it gets cut down to uh, semis, um, which uh, some maybe just might be like tw- somewhere between eight, uh, like 20-ish, 2021 maybe. Um, or so, and then it gets cut down from there to the, your top 12 finalists. Um, and um, like we're, uh, since we're world class drum corps, our first performance is Thursday night. And, you know, again, we, we are 
typically outside for all of our shows except for um, two of our major regionals at uh, San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. And um, actually, no, sorry, Atlanta is also outside at the Brave Stadium or former Brave Stadium. Um, but <clears throat> uh, the challenge is definitely when we are tuning the system and setting our balances and everything and we're outside and then we go inside into a, a dome facility that definitely does change things. And, um, you know, it's one of those things like you don't know exactly what it sounds like until you get in there. Uh, like, you know, every year you go, okay, this is what we're probably going to sound like when we're in there. But, you know, every program's, uh, every show's different, you know, staging changes all, all the time. So some things that worked last year might not work as much this year. And so there's some of those things where it's a constant moving target. We're like we we have our like okay we're going to set all our mics to here here's our EQs for for everything here's our gain structure and all that sort of stuff and then we just from there it's like we then have to keep like like I said coming through and, and adjusting but those uh those three those three nights that we get in there it's three opportunities for us to find the things that are still kind of uh might be issues and so we get a very limited time actually during finals week because it's not a lot of rehearsal it's just uh, maybe three, four hours on uh, on those days, and then you just uh, got to pack up and head down to Lucas Oil and do your performances. So um, there, those challenges oh, so you're, are... you're not even rehearsing on the field. You're rehearsing somewhere no, else? No, 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 we're at a different site. So we don't we don't rehearse inside Lucas Oil. So that's a huge thing, too, where, like in live touring and live, uh, live audio, where, you know, let's say uh, we take a certain superstar who has been on tour making, you know, lots of stops... Their, her crew rolls in and then they get to set up and they fire, they tune, they test the whole place out. Like Rosa said, we get 90 seconds and we aim it to the front sideline and we hope that we get most of it right, honestly. And it's like, you know, did all the mics work? Did, did we get any feedback? All right, cool. Everything worked, you know, and that's that's part of the, the huge challenge is the fact that our venue changes every performance. And so was, we can go from like a small high school stadium that's like 10 rows of bleachers and then all of a sudden we go into the Alamo Dome or we go into... Um, like, you know, insert any professional stadium here type of thing. Yeah, well, I was going to ask because I realized we kind of glossed over that we talked about having 90 seconds to set up. We didn't even mention on, like, do you even EQ, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we um, we actually go through our, this year we went through our whole system tuning process at our home base in um, at uh, Gardner-Webb, which is where we do our spring training at, and that's where we start to uh, set our shading, put, put it through smart, make sure that everything's set up. And then from there, it's just pretty much all prediction and NS1 for every stadium and then just using our ears on the fly and making sure that it translates as well. So, Copy. And, and to S1, I assume, is, the, is Nexo's control? Yes. I'm going to say that's one of the few brands I don't know super well. Um <laughs> Cool. And I was in, I mean, I guess when you're like outdoors a lot, that does certainly take some of the variables out of it till you get to those like domed and like enclosed spaces, at least. I I imagine that makes the, the, the spray and pray a little easier. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, every stadium is different. And so some stadiums are easier to get into and the flow is easy getting in and out of the field. So, you know, depending on who's, in, you know, there's a group in front of us getting, getting done with their performance and coming off the field. Some you know sometimes there's you know one entrance and a different exit. Sometimes everything goes in the same ten foot wide entrance, and um, <laughs> that is that's um, that that in can be very out. yes, and it can be very very <laughs> stressful. Um, where like I've, you know when like myself Rosa or Tyler have been upstairs like mixing the show and calling the show, we're walk looking down going oh my god oh my god, and then it's like you know unfortunately we don't have like communication with like Cole as he's coming on until and so like. 
it's like, oh, oh, hope everything's going okay. Like you just see this giant traffic jam. It is bumper cars down there uh, with just the front <laughs> ensembles. And then you layer in all the props and then all the other things that are going on on the field. It's, it's a lot. And it's, you know, uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that crowd control and the, and the traffic control downstairs on the floor. A lot of that's done with like the A2s. Like Cole's like the one's like, all right, let's go. And it's kind of, he's kind of down there directing traffic a lot of times and going like, you know, like, you know, where to set the, the mixer cart, the RF cart, plugging stuff in, making sure everything gets like where it needs to. And so it's um, like, it, like uh, I think Tyler mentioned, we, it's a well choreographed uh, setup and teardown. And it's something that we practice a lot because again, like uh, this, the 90 seconds we get is literally no joke. It's 90 seconds and we got to be ready to roll. And it's, if it's not, if it's not up that, uh, up in those 90 seconds or so, then we start getting people going like, what's going on? Why is, why wh- are we still, why are we still setting up? Why, why, why can we get, you know? And so then it like, it kind of unfortunately can create a little more anxiety for everybody. And again, on our end, it's, you know, what can we do to make sure that the members are taken care of and so that their anxiety is, you know, they already have their anxiety with a, a, as a performer. <laughs> we don't want to add to that because we're trying to plug things in. And, you know, and again, there's some human error. Um, sometimes it's, uh, oh, we forgot to turn on the breakers on the motion labs or, yeah, the NL4 didn't get, locked into place and so you know there's but you know those there are those those minor mishaps that happen obviously we try to you know try not to allow those things to creep in too often so got it uh i mean we're, we're coming around i feel like we've covered a lot of the, is there is there anything that that you all thought i was going to ask or wish i'd asked that i haven't yet I'm getting I'm getting so. mostly blank stares, so I feel like I've been doing my job. But no, Rosa, you were saying something. I, I well, the only thing that like has occurred to me is the um, that's a big thing that maybe is more interesting for the drum corps people listening. Um, but is the like doing with the wireless? We have to also do delay times, and the members are moving around the field. And so um, most of like how the show is mixed, we try to bake in as much as we can in scenes. And so um, Cole's job is um, greatly changing scenes at the right time. And there are a lot of scenes. How many scenes do you think you had, Cole? Uh, between 50 and 70. And that's for how and long the like, show? Like 12 it- minutes. Okay, that's you. You might actually be outdoing us here in the Broadway world. <laughs> <laughs> and then, People but on top crazy. of that, he has in ears in for the A one at the top has um voice of a uh, voice of God that's talking down and making live changes as well. In addition to that, um, but uh, but how we do the wireless miking because the members are moving a lot across the field. Um, is that we have to bake in delay times for those scenes as well. Um, which has, you know, been a journey and is uh, difficult to do. But I, I think I got it down to a science <laughs> last summer. I uh, wrote. Uh, I, I recently uh, got my master's degree at Georgia Tech, and um, so I learned kind of the beginnings of programming. I am not a master for sure, but uh, I wrote MATLAB code so that I could enter. Um, the members drill sheets um, into my MATLAB lab code and it does all the calculations oh, that's uh, awesome. for the delay times. <laughs> that's, I was going to say, and also if, if you, if you ever decide to like move on from drum curl, there are lots of Broadway sound design teams that, that, that would take you in a second. Cause we end up doing a lot of similar things for, you know, actor imaging in Broadway. It's like, I, I was one of the mixed covers for uh, To Kill a Mockingbird when it was on Broadway and, 
Yeah, and that three-hour play, like, I, I don't remember what the final count of scenes were, but yeah, like, 90% of the console queues were switching delay zones for people to image where they were on stage through that system. So, yeah, like, having, like, a, a software ability to do that off, like, the blocking sheet or the drill charts is, is that's awesome. That's you were you were speaking my language there. <laughs> Definitely doing batch math is really yeah. all mm-hmm. it's doing, but... Uh, yeah, I think one of the one of the coolest things about that though is that like I don't think we accounted for like every single delay factor. So actually, what was cool is because there was a little bit of added on delay that it didn't account for. It actually pushed the image more to the performers than towards the speakers, and I I thought that was like the coolest thing about it because now it actually sounds like it's adding on to the field sound instead of the speakers taking over, which is what lots of people in drum corps still want. They want the emphasis to be what's coming off the field versus what's coming through the speakers. Yeah, that's Yeah, it. and it, that was a conversation that Tyler and I had while I was kind of doing it and talking about it because there were, you know, uh, there were scenes um, on our file where they are moving during the scene. And the question was, do we need to make a whole new scene just because they're moving like somewhat of a significant difference, like a significant enough difference where I think it would probably matter. And after talking with Tyler and him bringing that up, I was like, all right, then the default is whenever they're farther back, you know, so that that it has that exact effect like Tyler described. Yeah, that's it's why I never would have thought of how much like what y'all are doing it like is similar to what we're doing on Broadway. But yeah, that's the same thing we get into in theater with yeah, figuring out if somebody's moving from all the way up stage left all the way down stage right, when are you gonna trigger that change? Is it yeah, is it going to crossfade or is it just we're going to wait till they pause in a sentence? And it, yeah, that's that's I had no idea there was that much overlap there. That's really cool. Um, good, Tyler, it looked like uh, you were going to say something. Yeah, um, I, w- I was going to say like the way drum corps has evolved recently, it's becoming more Broadway esque. Like just generally speaking, like our shows are being like produced a lot more instead of like sound wise. Instead of just it's like what you get on the field is. That's pretty much what it is. It's like because of the involvement of audio and sound design and everything, it's becoming more of a theater performance and less of just marching band now. And I think that's really, really cool. Oh, I was gonna say, what does the old man say? You into that, or are you like, yeah? <laughs> no, I'm, it's like for me, it's uh, it's really cool to see the evolution of the activity. You know, I mean, I still remember when we uh, when uh, amplification was legalized, like. You had the old cats are just like, nope, not about it. But then, and I was part of that. And I was like, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. And until one of the guys in the front ensemble was like, well, we can, it's great because then we don't have to play with bad technique and beat the daylights out of the, out of the, out of the keyboards and use rock hard mallets to project and to get uh, to be heard over the horn line. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. All right, cool. You know, like I'll allow it, you know, but it's, and to like see things evolve and progress, like, it's been really cool to see the change because, again, like I go back and watch shows from my time, and it's like, oh man, we really didn't do anything. And then now you're seeing these performers like run, skip, hop, dance, all this stuff that they're being asked to do. It's like, oh, I definitely couldn't do that now, um, even if I was in the best shape of my life. That's <laughs> what they're doing is absolutely insane. And then you have the percussionists, like the battery guys wearing drums, you know, like that, and they're doing all this, all similar stuff. It's just pure athleticism, and it's. Uh, it's amazing to see this every single day and every single night in the performances. And, you know, again, like the one of the things that we try to do, and I, again, another thing that we all agree on, it's like we try to make the audio uh, port, and electronic portion of, the, of, of Crown to be as transparent as possible 
And so to the point where you go, is that being amplified or is it being amplified? You can't really tell because we're trying to get to that level of transparency on a football field while there's people <laughs> running at, at, at high tempos and high velocities while still playing and performing. And so, you know, that's, uh, and that's one of those things that I think we all are in agreement about. And, you know, there's times when like Cole will be downstairs and I'll be like, Hey, let put like put the A three on real quick. Come upstairs and like listen to this. See if I'm going crazy, just so that you know we get a different set of uh, ears upstairs and things like that. Just to make sure like like uh, we're not going crazy what we're hearing. Or because again, there's times when you just hear the same thing over and over and over, and sometimes you uh-huh. just forget what that sounds like. And so yep. getting some fresh ears here and there is really helpful. Um, and so like that's something that's uh, that we're my goal for the whole team is that if you're you can be like caption supervisor or down to the intern. Everybody can be able to do a little bit of everything. Maybe not as the at, at the same levels some of those some of the uh, of our team in those roles, but everyone has a good understanding of everything that's being asked of them, so that uh, the entire team has a, can hop in wherever is needed, that sort of thing. And so, uh, like, there's a time when like Cole had to be the A one upstairs for a couple of days, and he did a great job running the caption. And uh, when there's like a, a gap in the schedule, and it just happened to be like that, but Cole's like, yeah, I'll go upstairs, and we put another person on the console, and it worked out, you know, and. Uh, you know where everyone's comfortable doing it. Well, to an extent, like might be a little bit nervous, but again, like it's you know if you're not nervous and it's then you know kind of not living in my opinion. So um, <laughs> you know it's it's a really uh, great thing to see everyone step up to the plate and also everyone bringing their their talent to the team. Whereas like Tony would, uh, Lyman would say, everyone has their superpower. And we want everyone's superpower here at the table, and everyone's got uh, got their contribution, and everyone does their thing to put their put their thumbprint on it, and so that. We as a team can be as strong as we can, and you know, for me as caption supervisor, I've always been in the mindset, even as a, when I was teaching band, like get people in that are smarter than me. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I need to find another room because I got to keep learning, I got to keep going. Because there's things that we did last summer that we're all like, "There's no way that's going to work," and then, oh, that worked. Okay, cool. I'll eat crow on that one. You know, that sort of thing. And you know, so it's um, again one of those things where the activity just keeps progressing and changing. Where Again, like you know, uh, imagine the same thing Broadway. You go like, I've done it this way; it always works. And you know, and then you know, like, let's try something new. And the, yeah, on the, paper, the, it the, should the, never the, the worst reason to do something is because it's always worked. Like, <laughs> it's a good reason to fall back on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's, and, it's when you need something to work and you know it always works that great. But to not try something different just because we've always done it that way. Um, and I want to I want to flag that thing you just said again, Jonathan, because that's um, the the venue that I've been working at a lot is is basically the unofficial like house uh, mixer. The audio supervisor there, my my good friend and good boss, Micah. Uh, he that's the thing he says all the time too. He's like the number one thing I look for when hiring people is everybody should be at least a little bit smarter than me. Which is a high bar because he is one of the smartest guys I know, and I'm not just saying that because he's often my boss. Because <laughs> I'm not even sure he'll be listening to this, but yeah, it's it, and he's always like, yeah, he's like, because if I'm the dumbest person in the room, we're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we have like such a diverse team. Like, th- like whatever we do outside of drum corps is also so diverse in our team that we all like learn from each other all the time. Like, I have questions that like Cole would be the first person I go to there's questions I have that Tyler's the first person I go to and like and that's it has like I think really like fueled the success of the audio team over the last couple years which is like really cool 
That's that's awesome. And like I said, like I even like coming in as somebody who had a little bit of an idea of what you know what what DCI is about. Like I've learned so much in this last hour talking to y'all, and like I've got a whole new respect for what you're doing. And I hope some of our listeners, you know, at home have too. And you know, maybe we'll even like interest some folks in in joining that world. Um, yeah. So thank you all for coming and making the time tonight to do this. It's it's been great. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's anything any of any of you want to like add in at the end or. Any any last stories before we let everybody uh, go on their way? Check your batteries on your wireless packs. Make sure they're the, make sure they're the right kind of batteries. Uh, this, sounds sure like the right kind. this sounds like a story. Cole? So, um, oh my gosh. Oh, okay, so um, you did it to yourself. I, before I before I start the story, I want to thank Kevin Duthu at Shore for saving our butts. Um, so we had bought, I guess they're the wrong strength batteries, the wrong voltage. I mean, they're double A's, but they were not high enough, and we were getting RF dropouts, and we we're like freaking out. This is like towards the end of the season as the batteries start to die. Like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? We're changing, you know, paddle. Uh, configurations and we're checking intermod. I mean, we are deep, deep into RF territory. We're like, what is going on? Um, this is finals week. I text Kevin. I'm like, hey, like, what in the world is going on? He's like, what's the? I think it was. I, I'm going to say voltage, but it might not be right. But I'm, what's the voltage on your batteries? And I'm like, that's such and such. And he's like, that's too low. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. So we go. John goes out to Costco at our first finals day rehearsal i think <clears throat> and picks yeah. up like 90 to like 100 pro cell duracell batteries and we replace them all and it was flawless for the last three shows like that was a that was a big learning moment for me um and i think for all of us <laughs> oh, always we read were, the spec sheet <laughs> yeah we yeah. were using like not the sure batteries they were just like rechargeable ones that we got off Amazon. And uh, yeah, I think over the course of the summer, you know, recharging them, maybe overcharging them sometimes. And uh, they were, yeah, dying. Yeah, yeah battery maintenance end. on your schedule's got to be crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We, we definitely, t- we talked ad nauseum about it during pre-tour about do we just buy batteries and just do we, you know, endanger a bunch of sea turtles or do we just try to go the rechargeable route and we went the rechargeable route but we definitely learned you know uh, there's a certain point in time where uh, that we'll switch back over just regular alkaline batteries and um, do a little bit of danger to the environment not as much final speak is that time yes mm-hmm. exactly got it. <laughs> got it yeah I mean again I come from a world where it took, we finally have gone to like pretty much fully rechargeables in, in the Broadway and, and theater touring world but it took a long time Again, there were a bunch of cranky, cranky, quote unquote, old guys like me and Jonathan sitting there, like, no way, not happening, not on my watch. Alkalines are death. <laughs> and yeah, so that's cool. Um, well, again, thank you all so much for coming. Like, this has been really cool. Um, and I will, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you all uh, a, a little bit of homework for me if you can. If we've got that email thread going with all of us, I want each of you to send me a video of like one of your favorite performances or something that we can put in the show notes so people can get an idea of what y'all are doing. 
So we'll see. And that's also going to be fun for me because because we're going to see how many of you send the same one or not. <laughs> cool. So Sounds we'll see. Good. So we'll we'll post we'll post some of those in the in the links for people. And I'll even see. I think there's one or two of like my old like marching band performances from high school buried on YouTube somewhere. If I can Oof. find one, I'll I'll <clears throat> pop one of those in the show notes too. I'll throw myself out on the pyre there. <laughs> um, but th- thanks again, y'all, for for making the time. This has been really cool, and it's been so good having you here. Thank you so much for yeah, having thanks, us. Andy. Thank you so much. Cool. Oh. And again, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Signal to Noise brought to you by our sponsors, RCF and Alan and Heath. And uh, hang on there. Tune back in next time when Sean will be back in the virtual chair next to me. And uh, we'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Bye.